Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode. I hope you're all really well. Something a little bit different for you this week. I was interviewed on the Parental Control podcast with the lovely Leo. I'm sure many of you know that podcast and perhaps listen to it. I enjoyed the conversation so much that I thought I would put it out on here as our episode this week. So Leo and I had a really wide-ranging conversation. We talked about feeling and emotional health. We talked about identity, digital overwhelm, matrescence, modern motherhood, all of it. It struck me that those are the many other things that we talk about week in, week out on the Motherkind podcast. So I would put it out on here. So please do let me know about what you think about me as the guest. I thought Leo was a fantastic interviewer. And also for a bit of context, before we started the interview, Leo was struggling a little bit with her tech and her setup and was starting to feel a bit overwhelmed and stressed. So I invited us before we started to do a really short three-minute meditation together. And that is what we talk about right at the start of the episode on how just giving ourselves those short minutes can totally transform the energy and how we show up for ourselves and our days. So that's what we were talking about right at the start. And something else to tell you about just before we get to the episode is that you may remember, and if you're on my mailing list, you will already have heard about this, that we ran the first ever Motherkind group coaching program in June. It was a huge success and the 10 women all had incredible transformations. Many of those stories I've popped on the website so you can have a read through. But the exciting news is I am running another one and it starts next week on the 29th of September. We still have a couple of spaces left, which is why I'm telling you about it today. So if you feel at all curious or that you have that inkling, or maybe it's just a whisper of something that you want to look into, please do have a look on the website under group coaching. And I would love you to be part of that group. Here is this week's episode. Zoe Blasky is a qualified transformational and executive coach specializing in working with parents and the founder of Motherkind, a personal development platform for parents. Zoe has coached hundreds of parents of all backgrounds on how to navigate the huge challenges of modern parenthood. Zoe hosts the Motherkind podcast, which is the UK's number one family podcast on iTunes and has been featured in Red, The Telegraph, Psychology's Goop, Sheer Lux and Mother and Baby. And she's delivered talks and workshops to some of the UK's leading businesses. She has two daughters of her own and lives with her husband, Guy, by the sea in Dorset. Zoe, you have got a whopping great waiting list. Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you. It's a joy and a pleasure. Really, really nice to speak to you. I just came on about five minutes ago in a complete panic because my headphones weren't working. Now I'm wearing a four-year-old's headphones that they're working quite well. But I sat down to suddenly start launching into conversation with you. 
and my heart was pumping. I'd just run up to the top of the stairs and you just said, hold on a second, let's just breathe, relax and do a little bit of meditation. I feel like a different person. I mean, yeah. how long did that take us? Probably three minutes. Max? I think it's so easy, isn't it? I fall into this trap all the time of just rushing, rushing and we just need to give ourselves that permission, just like I gave us both the permission. Like, let's just pause for a minute. How do we want to show up to this chat? I want to be present and calm, and I want my nervous system to be calm, and I think you want the same. So let's just give ourselves the best chance of that. And I was sharing with you, you know, I do that all the time. Like, I just take like a minute just to take a breath, and it can just be that simple, just calm my body. You know, our nervous systems can get so activated, particularly when we're parenting or we're working or both at the same time as we've been doing in the Mm -hmm. pandemic. And it's so easy to just keep going. And I think when we feel that stress and that rush, we sometimes think that the way to feel less stressed is to go faster. Mm, like a hamster in a wheel yeah like I'm just I've got so much on I'm just gonna go faster and actually just get it done just get it done and then I'll feel less stressed whereas actually as working mothers and mothers and parents and actually probably most human beings the jobs are never done ever and the stress doesn't reduce when we tick off the to-do list because there's always more it's just taking those moments just like you and I did And just settling, you know, I invited us to think of something we were grateful for because, you know, I understand what that's doing in our brain chemistry, but it just feels really nice. Mm. And I also invited us to just extend some gratitude to all the people that enabled us to have this conversation because as mothers, we can't do anything alone, right? We need the support. There's a teacher like teaching Jessie right now. I have a nanny with my two-year-old. I'm sure you have childcare and people around you and your producer. And so just extending gratitude in the moment, it just cuts through that stress. Living in the moment. If we're not careful, it's so easy to just live from that kind of stressed mindset where it's just not enough time and it's all going wrong and nothing's right. It's really easy to get stuck there. There's lots of stuff going wrong in any minute, right? Especially kept children, but there's also lots of stuff going right, but we don't notice that. And I think the children, obviously, they always look to us to emulate what we're doing. And I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm always on my phone. I'm so stressed all the time. and I've got to get this done. got to get that. And the children are watching. And you just need to bring it down a level, don't you? Yeah. Well, this I mean, I talk about this all the time because children don't really listen to what we say. They really don't. I mean, they kind of watch who we are. So that's kind of a scary thing and a liberating thing at the same time that I kind of Mm. think the job of parenting and mothering is just to be the person that you want to be in the world. Great advice. And tell me that little thing that we did just bring us back to the present. I'd love to talk a bit about how one does that with your own children. There's one point of the day, which I think for all parents, it's right at the end of the day where you're really like, you're pushing it now. It's half an hour past your bed and you're asking for another story, or you want to talk about your day suddenly, how do you build it in something like that so that it's quick, but you still respect their time and you still know, okay, I need a bit of time with my husband. Yeah, this is really real for me at the moment because my six-year-old needs me to cuddle her to sleep every night and she doesn't normally drop off till like half eight. My bedtime's nine. I basically have like 20 minutes to myself in the evening. So there's a couple of things. 
You know, the first thing is figuring out what your own boundaries are around that. You know, I decided with my husband, actually, for me, it's really important that if she needs that extra support right now, we've just been through a pandemic. We've just moved to Dorset from London. She's just started a new school. If she needs me to lie with her for half an hour and I stroke her back and I'm doing a guided meditation, I'm willing to do that. I'm not doing it resentfully. I'm willing to do it. I'm actually... What I've found is that it's in those moments that not just before she drops off, but when we first lie down together, she tells me what's really on her mind and she shares a lot of her fears with me. So for me, that really works. Yeah. I think if I was, say, a solo parent and I maybe had to go to work in the evening or maybe Mm -hmm. that's the time when I was doing all my admin or, you know, my life was different, I would put a different boundary in and the boundary would be, do you go to sleep on your own at seven and that's that. So I think there's no one size fits all. And I'm super, super cautious of anyone that gives a one size fits all around parenting. Mm. Because I think it's so dependent on your child, on you, on what your family's like, what you're like. You know, if you know that you need an hour in the evening to decompress, then maybe that's about you need to work that out so that, that you can give yourself that. I really don't think that there's one size fits all at all do you have a not a quick fix but at that moment when they're really stressing out or they just have a freak out I don't want to go to school I don't want to go to a party I don't want to do this or that do you have something that one can do just to bring them back Mm -hmm. yeah so you know I've learned this from I've been so lucky because I've had the world's best child psychologists on the podcast and they all say the same things which is always reassuring (laughs) it's very consistent Typically, when a child is having a meltdown, just like, you know, you and I were when we were a bit frantic when we got on this call, you actually can't think clearly. So the part of the brain which enables us to rationalize is called the prefrontal cortex. And that doesn't come online until ages kind of seven, eight. So before that age, they actually can't rationalize. They're flooded with emotion when they're in a tantrum or they don't want to go to school. If you think about it like we are, you know, when you're kind of, I'm going to flip my lid and someone says to you, just calm down, you know, or actually you've got to do this. That makes you more Way angry, more. right? Because the reason is, is because you're not being heard. It's like, you're not seeing me, you're not hearing me. Mm-hmm. And all human beings want is to be seen and heard, seen and heard. So when children are having the meltdowns, the first thing to do is to remember that, just to calm yourself, because it's going to trigger you. Sure. Particularly if you're like, I've got to get out the door. I've got two other kids stood by the door that need to go to school. And this third child, you know, is freaking just out. freaking out. And, you know, it's really stressful. And our own nervous system gets activated. But we have something called mirror neurons. So children will mirror the state that we're in. Okay, it's one of the oldest evolutionary developments in the brain. So if you can calm yourself, it is remarkable the difference that you will notice. If you join them in the chaos, I've told you this before, what's going to happen is you're not going to get anywhere from there, basically. It's just going to be stressful for everyone. And then you're going to have to do something like no going to that party on Saturday. You're going to have to put down a big kind of threat or something and the connection's going to be lost. And in that moment, if a child doesn't want to go to school or doesn't want to go to bed or doesn't want to go to the party, they're having a big emotional response, typically based in fear. They need connection to feel safe to move through it. So this is really not easy. This is really hard. And I do it so imperfectly. But the first step is to calm yourself, always. 
So taking that breath, remembering they're going through something really hard. They need me to connect. And then it's kind of getting down to their level, looking them in the eyes if you can, and just validating what you're seeing. So it looks to me like you really don't want to go to school today and you're feeling really angry about that. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. And what you notice and what I've noticed with my children is particularly Jessie, who's not an easy little girl, you know, she'll say, yeah. And I can notice the calming already. And this takes... Because you've acknowledged it. I've acknowledged it. And then it would be saying, what could make it easier? Oh, I just don't want to go. I just don't want to go. I really hear you. I hear you don't want to go. But then I, then you set the boundary. We have to go to school. Everybody has to go to school. So this isn't about saying, yeah, it was really hard. Don't worry about it. Stay at home. It's just yeah. validation. And then what I typically find is then she'll say, oh, it's just because you're bursting into tears, then the release. And you want the release of the emotion because mm-hmm. that's what tantrum was about before. So-and-so said that I was stupid yesterday or something. You'll tend to get, not always, you'll mm-hmm. tend to get a kind of insight as to what's really going on. Trigger. Yeah. And then you can deal with that. Okay, well, maybe what could we do? Let's talk about it in the car on the way. So you're kind of still moving towards the door. Or, moving the right way. Let's lie in bed and talk about it. Let me see. Mm. This isn't typically what I do with parents, actually, because I'm not actually a parenting coach. But this is just what I've learned from all these incredible hours of conversations I've had with all these psychologists and thinkers on child development. And typically, like, it's really quick. It takes less time to do that than it does to have the battle. Yeah. And you getting stressed. I hear you saying this and definitely I think that works with the younger ones. I interviewed Catherine Celery, who's American child psychologist. She said that's the first thing to do, acknowledge. I see that you're really upset and then yeah, go on and say what you've said. Yeah. I've been using that as a tool and it is working a dream on my youngest. And I didn't know that for the older two. Now my older ones, sort of 10, 11, 12. What do you do when it gets to them? I've been trying to sort of do the same thing. So I can see you're upset, but then I get a bit stumped. I don't really know what to say then. Well, with the older ones, you can say, it looks to me like you might be upset. Is that right? Because they've got more emotional literacy. Sure. Actually, they might actually say to you, no, I'm not upset. I'm really angry at you. And also it takes time to develop an emotional language in your home. If you haven't been, as you shared, you know, if you haven't been doing this, for long talking about feelings and teaching children that feelings are very welcome in the home. You know, we're not going to punish you for, for anger or sadness or frustration. You actually, get it out. We sure. know that's the basis of emotional health is teaching children to process their feelings. So it might take a bit of time for them just to learn, oh, okay, I can be angry and that's good. I'm going to be fine. That's yeah. fine. It's and a feeling. Like, and I can use words to mom and dad and whoever else is around and they're going to acknowledge that. So I think teaching, you know, emotional literacy through modeling is also really powerful. You know, you might even share today, God, I tried to get on this podcast. I was so frustrated. I was so angry. Just using those words is so So they know it's totally normal to experience the full range of human emotions in any given moment. My little one will be furious that I'm using his headphones. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you could say you you might feel really angry that I borrowed your headphones. Let me tell you a funny story, you know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And then I think just modeling, you know, how we as parents work through our emotions is the most powerful thing that you can do. You know, we teach by modeling more than anything that we say. So if they see us processing anger, 
resolving an argument with a partner or other people around the home, being in sadness and coming out of that, being gentle with ourselves when we make mistakes, being compassionate with ourselves. That is really how we teach. That's sure. really how we teach. That's great we're, advice. We're doing that all day, every day. So mm. just who we are is the most powerful platform that we can do Example. for our children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great advice. Can we step back a bit and talk about the transformation that happens when you first become a mother? So this is really where mother kind came from because I was quite lucky. I had a breakdown when I was 23, very polite breakdown. Like it was quite private and quite quiet, but it was a breakdown nonetheless. And I got into a tract of healing and therapy and recovery and it was just incredible. And so for 10 years before I became a mother, I was really steeped in meditation and yoga and healing and psychotherapy and trauma work and all of it. I just loved it. And then I had a really amazing experience when I was pregnant, a kind of another level of awareness and awakening and connection. And so I kind of thought that I would find motherhood not easy, but that I would be able to handle it given all the tools that I had. But actually I had the opposite experience. And what I found was that every part of me that I hadn't yet looked at, some people call it shadow, some people call it coping behaviors or traumas even, they all came up for me. You know, I really saw my fear and my control and my anxiety. And I thought that I'd kind of worked on a lot of that. What I realized was that motherhood, parenthood, but I think particularly motherhood, has this way of showing us and bringing to the light everything that we still need to be looking at and working on and healing. So I started to look for some resources about it because I was so used to going to workshops and retreats and that was kind of my MO a bit. I would go all the time, every weekend I'd be like on a different retreat. So I was like, great, where's the retreat that's talking about this? I'm going to go on it. Or where's the book to read? Or where's the podcast to listen to? And I found a bit in the UK, like Dr. Shafali and uh, in the US, sorry, a few people doing it. In the UK, there was very, very little. There's lots of content about, you know, what to buy, lots of humorous content about how to drink through it. I'm sober. I haven't drunk for nine years. So none of that really relates to me. Yeah. So I was like, where is the deeper conversation? Because I was so used to having these very deep conversations about healing and trauma. And I mean, I find it fascinating. Some people find it very heavy, but I just love it. It was a friend actually who said to me, well, perhaps you could start something. And that was never on my plan. You know, I was a marketing consultant. Really? Oh yeah. my God. So I did it as a kind of just a side. Sideline at the yeah, beginning. I was yeah, like, yeah, I'll, yeah. Just, I'll just write a blog. And then I thought, actually, I don't have time to read a blog, but I loved podcasts. So I thought I'd start a podcast and that's how it started. I never thought that it would morph into my full role and everything that I do. Yeah, my job today. But it um, took off so quickly though, really, didn't it? Took off very quickly. And I think yeah. because when I started, it's not the same now, you know, there's, there's lots of podcasts covering this and lots of other people talking about it. But when I started four years ago, there really wasn't. It's amazing, and, really. If you think about what everyone's going through at the moment, I guess it was the perfect time for you to launch yeah, and to help people really with what we've all been going through. You know, I always was clear that I wanted the best thinkers in the world on the subjects that I wanted to talk about. You know, I've had 
Gabor Mate, who's the leading thinker in human development. My first guest was Marianne Williamson, who's like the grandmother of American spirituality. Amazing. Yeah, I've had people like Glennon Doyle, who's a writer who writes a lot about motherhood and transformation. I've had Dr. Kristin Neff, who is the founder of self-compassion. You know, just such a broad incredible guests and I think that's what people have really appreciated actually is the kind of levity and the gravitas of the conversations and just bringing that knowledge to people that just it wasn't there before it was in pockets but I think I did quite a good job of curating together yeah Yeah. and it's amazing you say that they all sing from the same hymn sheet where it talks about that mirror state and acknowledging children's feelings on the podcast I have just as many kind of child psychologists, like I had Dr. Gordon Newfield, who is the grandfather of attachment theory, really. Huge, incredible guy. So we'll talk about that kind of more parenting stuff. But Mm. also, I guess my passion is what comes up for us as parents and mothers and caregivers, because I believe all that stuff comes up because our children want us to heal it. You know, and that's Mm. quite a big idea. And it's a very different idea than kind of mainstream. But yeah, that's my passion. We face these challenges as parents because it's an invitation to look at it and do something differently and maybe look a bit at our own childhood and what's going on and who we might want to be for our children, who we might want to model. And how do we become that when we've been used to maybe living in fear and anxiety and stress, but we want to model to our children joy and presence and connection. But how do I move from there to there? That's what I just love talking about. Yeah, so interesting. Could you also tell us what matrescence means when it starts and how we can actually use it um, to sort of bring it to an opportunity? So when I became a mother, I'd never heard of this term. Have you heard of it, Leo, before? I hadn't, not before I followed you. No, no. so I'd never heard of it. And I watched a TED talk by Dr. Alexandra Sachs, which now I think is one of the biggest ones. It just kind of was one of those viral ones. So we've all heard of adolescence, which is the move from a child into an adult. Everyone knows that that's the anthropological term. When we're unsure of who we are, our identity is shifting, our brain chemistry is actually changing in adolescence, our body changes. Well, matrescence is exactly the same, but for becoming a mother. So this phrase was actually hidden in the research. And what Dr. Alexandra Sachs did was read tomes of research and she found this word which had just been kind of hidden, you know, probably, you know, we could talk about the patriarchy and why this word got hidden and why this isn't just a normal thing that we talk about. This was just a light bulb for me. I was like, gosh, yes. And they talk about how was your matrescence in America? It's becoming more and more mainstream. Yeah. Right? Which is, how was your transition to a mother? Was it smooth for you? Was it rocky? I was thinking, you know, I don't think I had postnatal depression. I wasn't ticking the boxes, but I found it such a rocky period. I was like, who am I now? Why do I feel so different? I feel so awkward with this. What work do I want to do? It just, I felt like becoming a mother threw up my whole life. I think everyone feels that, don't they? I don't know any woman who just sailed into it. Well, a few people say, this is what I'm made for, but no one says, oh my God, that was so easy. That was so easy. No one. And then this is this term, which is like, it's just genius. It's meant to be this rocky time because our body's changing, our hormones are changing. We're trying to figure out who we are in the world now. It's this huge transition. You know, and your brain as well. I think everything goes fuzzy. Well, yeah, you have pruning. Your brain chemistry actually permanently changes 
when you become a mother, which is just mind-blowing to me. So I heard this term and I just thought this is absolutely incredible, this word to put to it. So I started talking to people about it. Has anyone heard, you know, and no one, no one had heard of it. And I think if we could get that message out to more mothers who could look back on their own experience and think that's what it was. It was just like when I was a teenager into an adult. It's such a bumpy time. And we extend so much compassion to teenagers. Of course. Because we know like this is such a rite of passage and it's almost like a ritual. You know, you're 18th Mm. and we celebrate that becoming of, of an adult. And yet when it's a mother... You know, a lot of the mainstream media is about how quickly can you bounce your body back and get back sure. to work and, you know, laugh about how much gin you drink. We totally downplay Dumb it down. the yeah. reverence and the importance of this huge transition into motherhood. And matrescence kind of just describes that term. I love it. I love it. I feel it is very American. And I think not enough people in England know about it. But I think the one not the buzzword, but the thing that all mothers talk about, especially in interviews, whether it's a written interview or a podcast or something, people always talk about the juggling act. That's what we're good at. We're always talking like, how do you juggle? How do you juggle? But really, it's so much more important to talk about that change. Exactly. I mean, I think they kind of sit together, don't they? The reality of having to work parent other children keep lives going you know if you're not in a corporate job you don't have the gift of maternity leave you know I think that that juggle and that balance and is very 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 real but I think when we put that lens over the top of it of almost expecting it to be hard I think it's just such a it's such a normalizing I know when I had that term I was like oh it's just what I went through is so normal normal it's just that no one was talking about it tell me how's motherhood transformed you as a person as a woman I mean I think on every level I think the big thing that it's really done is as I was sharing it's kind of brought into the light every part of me that was still hiding that was still fearful that was still not fully in my power you know because I have two girls so it's kind of a real responsibility to model what it is to be a woman in today's world. And I think that's what I do every day. I'm always trying to think, how am I showing up? Like, am I showing up in my true power? And I don't mean powerful. I mean, am I showing up in a way that is helping others? Am I showing up in a way that I'm focusing on my own well-being, Or am I running around like a headless chicken complaining about everything? You know, what am I teaching the girls about the world? And what it means to be a woman and a mother and a human in the world. And I think, you know, that has brought up so much for me, like layers and layers and layers and layers of kind of healing and uncovering messages that I got about myself and the world and mothering and, you know, really starting to question, you know, well, what do I want? What's important for me? And, you know, I have coaching clients do this really cool thing where they have to write their own 80th birthday party speech. It's a really simple tool, but it's so easy to get stuck in the day-to-day because there's so much to do day-to-day, right? We've got Mm. meals and women, we still take on 60% of the invisible and emotional labor of raising children. So typically we are the ones thinking when swimming, you know, when do I need to start weaning? What toys should they be having at the moment? You know, just the thousands of questions that are just filling our head. It's so easy to get lost in that stuff. But what I love helping mothers do is just have some perspective. And doing an exercise like that, thinking, okay, well, you know, or it's the end of your life. 
what did you contribute? What was really important to you? What love did you experience? What experiences did you have? How do you want your children to remember you? I think is incredibly powerful. Do you know, my husband always says when he's talking about legacy, he says, your children are your legacy. And it's so true. And I, I love that thought. You know, most men you ask, it's their business or it's this or it's that. He says, no, it's my kids. They're my legacy. I love that thought. So we've got to do a good job <laughs> bringing them up, I guess. Well, I, think, I think it's, as you're saying that, I was thinking there's kind of two sides of that. There's the beauty of it, isn't it? Which is that you, you know, you instill the essence of who you are as a human into your children, really. But also there's a kind of pressure with that. And I think... I think it's important to remember that actually we're just doing our best. And I think it's important to ask ourselves the really big questions because I think that unlocks who we can be. And I think our children get to see that. But so imperfectly, you know, so imperfectly, I think it's really important to remember as well. Now, what tools do you turn to personally for support and what do you tell other people to do? There's kind of a couple that I always come back to. The first is meditation. I actually think there's no group in society that could benefit from meditation more than mothers and parents. Because I think, you know, without knowing how to center ourselves, just like you and I did at the start of this, our minds are kind of our worst enemy because our minds always want us to be elsewhere because their job is to think. So they're going to want to take us back into the past where we might feel guilt. I feel so guilty that I was late for pickup yesterday, you know, kind of being plagued by the thoughts of the past. Or, and actually more commonly, they want to take us forward. How am I going to handle tomorrow? I've got that meeting. I've got that childcare clash. I've got, and our minds just do that. That's the kind of nature of the thinking mind. It, it always wants to be thinking. So actually the stillness of the present moment is very boring for the mind. But the human challenge is that that's where all the peace is actually <laughs> all the good stuff yeah all the presence and the connection and everything that we say that we want in our lives and with our children is actually in the present so it's this huge challenge it's like okay so I've got this piece of kit up here that wants to take me forward into anxiety and back into guilt and stress and shame and depression but actually everything that I want is in this moment you know, if you think about this moment that we're in right now, just this breath, there's nothing wrong. It's breath, isn't it? In this second, there's nothing wrong. Everything's amazing. You know, that peace is available to both of us in this second, but we have to train our mind to get there. So that's why meditation is kind of my number one tool. And I don't do it for long because I'm really yeah, so <laughs> I saw that at the beginning. It was three minutes. We started yeah. with some breath. Yeah. So when I'm working with clients, when someone works with me one-to-one, I always invite them to start a very, very simple meditation practice. And I suggest that they do two minutes a day for two weeks. And some people say that's ridiculous. Like that's not going to make any difference. Whereas actually there's a study that came out 2009 that showed that 60 seconds of meditation a day can start to rewire the brain. I mean, it's just unbelievable. What people tend to do is they go, yeah, this sounds amazing. I want to meditate. And they go on Headspace or Calm, which are both brilliant apps, but they'll try and do 10 minutes, which too much. Too much. And then what tends to happen is people go, this is hell, because it can be hell. When you sit, what can happen is everything can come up that you've been 
you know, avoidance. So it can feel really, really, really horrible to start with. That's okay. And that's normal. And then people go, well, my mind was just thinking for 10 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, again, totally normal. You can't actually stop your thinking mind. That's another myth that you sit there with no thoughts. That's never happens. So two minutes is where to start and do it for two weeks because then likelihood is you're going to achieve that. Do it. Yeah. And then you're going to feel like, actually I can do this. And then you up it a little bit to maybe five minutes, but I just do five minutes a day. And everyone can take two minutes out, right? Everyone can take two minutes out and you can do it with your kids. You can do it after school drop-off instead of just getting the ignition on and tearing off, you know, back home mm. to start working. I've actually been going to the beach because we've just moved up, just drive down. And sometimes I don't even, not even getting out of the car. I'm just parking up, yeah. looking at the sea. I set my timer for five minutes and then I go home. Love that. And I'm just in a totally different space. So that's my first tool is meditation. And it doesn't need to be formal. It doesn't need to be sitting. It can just be you know, a few deep mindful breaths. And it sounds so simple. So simple that people are like, really? I'm really stressed out. I've got three kids. I'm getting a divorce. I'm maybe going to lose my job. And you're telling me to breathe for a couple of minutes. For three minutes, yeah. People are like, whatever. But it absolutely works. It absolutely well, who works. can't try that for two weeks, right? And then the other one is journaling, which is for me is like free therapy. It's unbelievable. I mean, the studies on journaling, again, are incredible. So this is all kind of scientifically based that – just getting your thoughts down on paper for five minutes a day has been proven to reduce anxiety, stress, overwhelm. Because what you're doing is you're making some connection between what's going on up here. You know, those kind of constant whirring thoughts of worry. And when we make them real on a piece of paper, we can get new insights and new ideas. And when we do that in a regular way, what you start to see is that it's the same worries every day you can realize ah okay what's that really about or actually that's taking up so much of my headspace and I can't control it so how could I let that go the journaling and the meditation are kind of my go-tos and when I'm working with clients they tell me that just those two things have been transformational because I think there's so many tools out there and I think it's finding what works for you but working with busy mothers has to be simple and it has to be accessible and it has to work that's basically free, both of those things. free, and it takes, yeah. in total, 10 minutes a day. I got all my godchildren last Christmas. I think it's called the Happy Journal, that little yellow That's book great. for all the kids. That's and, great. yeah, some of them haven't done it, but most of the parents have called me and said, oh, my gosh, this is transformational. They do it every night. Um, and it really helps them load and decompress. Mm -hmm. But I would say it's really important to be modelling that. It's a big ask of a child to be journaling every day when you're not. You're not. At home, we do it with art. I'm like, right, mummy's going to do some drawing of how I'm feeling. Do you want, with my six-year-old, I'm like, why don't you draw how you're feeling? You know, that's what we do because she's not writing in a journal yet. Oh, but um, it's the same thing. Yeah, but I think it's all about that, modelling it so that they see, okay, I can see that this is something that, you know, mum does or dad does or we just do in our household. Sometimes with those things, you don't want it to look like this is something that you have to do. My grandfather used to write a diary every day of his life. And we love, as kids, we love going back to the, like the day we were born or if there was a time when we knew we were hanging out with him. That's every amazing. single day. I think the Queen does as well, actually. I think they're quite different, aren't they? Well, I don't know what was in his, but I wouldn't want my journal to be read. 
<laughs> no. I think um, journaling for kind of, you know, where I'm getting out the darkness, basically, uh, getting out the worries. And then there's the diarying, which maybe might be more like this happened. This His was more documenting during the war and things. Amazing. Very different, Amazing. but still incredible thing to do. Incredible. Yeah, I, I have diaries from when I was a kid saying, if anything happens to me, this is to be burnt and not read. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about my journals. I say to my husband, I'm yeah. like, please never read <laughs> You'll probably think that I'm they are private, absolute nutter. You know the tears and the worries that come out in there. <laughs> no, but it's a really, really important thing to do. Very cathartic. Now, the last thing I just want to ask you is about the identity. It's touching on what we've been talking about already, but lots of women say that they lose their identity for a while after becoming a mother. So, whatever that means, they obviously feel very different. Can we talk a little bit about the balance and how one feels after, and especially mm. if they do feel that they've lost their identity in some way? I mean, I think it's a great thing if you feel like you've lost your identity because you are different. This idea that, you know, we become mothers and then we have to get back to who we were. Mm. I think that's why so many women say I feel lost. I'm like, great that you feel lost because it's just the same as a kind of 21 year old going, I've lost my identity from when I was 10. It's like, great. Like, <laughs> Who do you want to be? Right. Like, this is yeah. good. You know, so, and I think this is changing the narrative, isn't it? So we have this idea that we know who we are and then we become mothers and we just carry on that track. You know, I really think that's really what matrescence is about. And, you know, a lot of these incredible thinkers and that motherhood is that moment of transformation, of change, the shift and the change on every level, spiritual, emotional, physical. But I just think the conversation has not been very good in this country about how to help women put those pieces together to answer the question, who am I now? So I think if someone feels like they're losing their identity, I would say that's normal. A good thing. A good thing. Put it back together now. Like, who do you want to be as a mother? You know, it's such a powerful question. And, you know, we talk about journaling, you know, that's yeah, what, write I it down. what I was journaling on in the early days. Like, who do I want to be as a mother? What do I want to take from my mother? What do I want to leave in the past generation? What do I want to take from my husband's family? And what do I want to leave with them? You know, what do two of us want to co-create together? These are such powerful questions, but we'll spend more time researching a buggy than we will thinking about those questions. It's ridiculous, it's, isn't it? It's actually insanity, but this is the kind of world that we're in, you know, we're, we're kind of a consumer driven place and we've been sold this lie that if we buy the right stuff, all will be well. And obviously not, that <laughs> doesn't happen that way. Um, talking about journaling, my mother sent me the other day, because my daughter was feeling a bit down. She sent me my mum's a writer and she sent me this thing saying 21 things that make me happy. And it was the sweetest thing. And she said, I wrote this for me, but I want to share it with you. So I gave it to my daughter and she said, get her to put 10 things that make her happy. And they were so sweet. They were like her teddy bear. And I mean, the sweetest things, pancakes on the weekend stuff. But my mother's ones were just absolutely divine. And I just thought, this is amazing. These things I didn't really think of. And they were such simple things. And so I did my list and I just thought that's such a cool idea. Yeah, I mean, I do a gratitude list every day and it's always the simple things. Cup of tea. Yeah, seeing the sun break through the cloud, you know, the smile from Jesse. And, you know, and I think it's so easy in the kind of fast-paced world that we live in where we're bombarded by more content and messages than ever before, than any previous generation. So Gabor Mate. He said to me, it's the hardest time to be a mother in modern history. 
Because, because of the access to information and the speed of the world and, you know, the pressure and, you know, it takes real strength to say, actually, I'm not going to do all those things. What do you do about it? I got to school yesterday. I mean, when I was a kid, we used to get sent home with one thing a month to say if there's parents evening or something or it would be done on the phone. Yesterday, we were meant to be at school at a time. And then suddenly the school WhatsApp, and this was just for one of the children, mm-hmm. went haywire because the school had said this time, but one mum thought it was this time. I silenced my messages, but I looked at it and there were 57 new WhatsApps from one group. Yeah. And how I was at the beginning of this podcast, that was me. I was just absolutely like, I can't deal with this. Well, if you think about that, we're the only generation of mothers so far that's had to handle things like WhatsApp groups. Do you remember telephone trees? You know, there had to be a real emergency and then people ran like the school was shut or something. So if you think about that, our brains haven't changed at all. And yet, as you were describing, the stress of that. So our bodies go into, when we feel stressed, they go into fight you know, and you might be thinking, this is bloody ridiculous. Mm. Freeze, which is like, you know, that can't kind of, deal. Yeah, can't deal. Or flight, which is like, come on, we just got to go. You know, the rush. And that's yeah. totally normal when we feel stressed. It's the same part of our brain that triggers the ancient part of our brain that when we would have been chased by a tiger, it's exactly the same response. And yet all it is is some messages on the phone. And I think this is the kind of anxiety, right? So if you think about that, what was underlying all that? would have been fear we're going to get it wrong whereas for me like I'm no way zenning through my life and I absolutely have (laughs) moments but I say to my girls I would rather us get to school a bit late in a really calm place and have a frantic morning and actually when Jeffy first started school last year in London an amazing school and I said to them you know sometimes in the morning she finds it hard to get out the door. So we're going to be late sometimes. I preempted it because my value is around connection and calm and I'm not going to scream us all out the door to make it on your timetable. Sure. So we're going to be late a bit. And I know that because I know my values and I live by them and I'm kind of unapologetic about them. Same with the homeschooling. I opted out of the whole thing. You know, Jessie was only reception. It might have been different if she was 13 or, you know. Yeah, but still. Yeah. Like, it's going to cause too much stress in my family. I've got a little baby. I'm going to try and do some reading. And they were like, wow, yeah, amazing decision. You know, the WhatsApp group was going haywire about the I bet. And I was just calm and... White noise. Yeah. And when you have had a kind of breakdown like I did you have a totally different perspective on what's important in life because I got straight A's I never dropped a grade you know I got first in economics and yet I found myself at 23 kind of not wanting to live anymore so actually us being 10 minutes late for school does that matter doesn't matter Jess doesn't do any extracurricular activities because I want her at home connecting playing having fun because yeah. it doesn't matter. Like I was your typical good girl. I didn't learn anything about how to, you know, really be happy and be present and be joyful, which is what we all want. It's just that I think we've kind of sold this story that, you know, if you get good grades and you get a good job, you'll be happy. And yet most adults that I know who followed that track and are still in those corporate jobs are utterly miserable. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. So I think when you can have that perspective, those WhatsApp groups, 
I kind of just say a little prayer now. I'm like, I can see that what's going on here is loads of fear and I'm praying for them. I'm not getting involved in it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not here to absorb <laughs> other people's stress. stress. Yeah. I've got enough of my own. <laughs> mm. I'm not available for it. It's those, Me too. those boundaries. Yeah, it's the boundaries. Okay. Well, I've silenced them, but now I'm just probably not going to look at them. (laughs) Oh, 57 messages. I couldn't believe it. I thought I was seeing something. This is what I mean. It's just so fascinating. Because when I first opted out of the homeschooling, you know, it really brought up that good girl in me. Is this okay? Is Jessie going to be forever affected? What are other people going to think of me? It brings up all of that worry and that fear and... So I was like, wow, there's still a part of me that really cares about what other people think. Isn't that interesting? But only by that kind of journaling practice I was talking about and thinking about it, can I uncover what's going on for me? And then I'm able to show up, you know, who I want to be as a parent, as opposed to reacting to what's going on around me. Going on, for sure. Oh my God, Zoe, I could speak to you literally all day. I'm feeling so calm now. I think I'm going to throw my phone in the bin. Thank you so much. That's been incredible. I mean, your podcast is incredible. You've had so many incredible people on there and they're all on there for people to go back and listen to in their leisure. I just want to say thank you so much. It's been amazing. Oh, it's been a joy to connect. Thank you. Not at all. And one other thing, can we just say before we go, is what next? What's next on the agenda for you? Well, the podcast will just kind of hopefully carry on forever because I love it. And there's so many people on my wish list that I want to talk to. I'm coming for you, Brené Brown. (laughs) (laughs) Every year, every year. You'll get there. I really, really want to speak to her. And then a book, potentially this year. I think more group coaching because my one-to-one wait list is I think two years insane yeah stupid so the more kind of groups that I can bring together and hold space for groups of mothers you know a lot of what you and I were just talking about there you know what's important to you what's going on that's stopping you living how you want to live you know asking those questions with a group of mothers you know there might mm. be plenty of us on a zoom call and everyone sharing it just cannot describe the magic it's yeah unbelievable so I want to do much more of of that that. yeah and then just continuing to work with brands that I love and corporates because I think you know mothers and parents working in corporates are one of the most stressed people in society yeah so I want to support them and just keep getting the message out there fantastic well anything we can do to support we are here we love everything you do and I really hope you you come back on again yeah I'd love to thank you thank you so much thank you you're welcome So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists 
and we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just £25 currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care. I'll see you next time.